Welcome to Highland Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 8th, 2018, we continue our series titled Ephesians Made Worthy, Walk Worthy. Today's sermon, How to Have a Godly Family, will be taught to us by Pastor Doug Farrington out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Enjoy! We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. We've been doing that since the beginning of the year, and we're, we're kind of coming into the home stretch now. We're starting the beginning part of the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. And bear in mind that the letter was written to Christians, followers of Jesus in the city of Ephesus. Now, practically speaking, Ephesians is divided into two parts. Roughly the first three chapters deal with doctrinal truths, truths about who God is holy and perfect and worthy of all praise and honor and glory and doctrinal truths about who we are. Not so much. The only means by which we can be made worthy to be in intimate relationship with God the Father is by grace through faith in the person of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the second half of the book, basically the last three chapters, answers the question, so what do we do now? When we put our faith in Jesus and in the redemption only found in him and he covers us with his blood and God chooses us to be recipients of his grace, it tells us how we're supposed to respond, how to live with each other, how to treat one another, how to interact with each other, how to walk worthy in light of having been made worthy by the work of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, Thomas Slager did really an amazing job of teaching through the end of Ephesians 5 and explaining what God's word has to say about the roles of wives and husbands, of what it looks like to walk worthy in the context of marriage. And today, we'll be continuing into the first part of chapter 6, which lines out how we are supposed to walk worthy in the child and parent relationship. Now, I'm gonna share something with you that you might not have thought of. No matter who you are and how old you are and what your life experience has been, you fit into one of four categories. You are either a mother or a father or a son or a daughter or a combination thereof, everybody. So what we're gonna read through here in Ephesians 6, one through four is applicable There is meat on the bone for all of us. Okay? Before we dive in and read through the passage that we'll be discussing, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the truth, the reality of the fact that you are good. And thank you for wanting what's best for us because of your love for us. Thank you for your word, the the guidebook, the track to run on in which can be found the the answers to all of life's questions. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. And God, I pray that above all else, that what happens here today brings you honor and glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever to Ephesians 6 and follow along as I read verses 1 through 4. 
Again, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's all we're going to chew on today. And you might be wondering, how is this guy going to talk for 30 minutes on four little verses? Guys, we could talk for 30 days on these four little verses. We're not going to, I promise. Okay? Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Another translation says it this way, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. These words remind me of a short little story I once read about obedience. And what's funny is in the first service, uh, I didn't have the story with me, so I had to do it from memory. We got there, but I think I'm better off if I just read it to you. Let me share it with you. A man, just for illustrative purposes, we'll call him Doug, was walking along a steep cliff one day when he accidentally got too close to the edge and he fell. On the way down, he grabbed a branch which temporarily stopped his fall. He looked down and, and to his horror, he saw that the canyon fell straight down for like a thousand feet below him. And he knew that he couldn't hang on to the branch forever and there was no way for him to climb back up to the top of the cliff along the steep wall. So Doug began yelling for help, hoping that someone passing by would hear him and and lower a rope or something. Help, help, help. Somebody help me. Is anyone up there? He yelled for a long time, but no one heard him. He was about to give up when he heard a voice. Doug, Doug, can you hear me? Are you all right? Yes, yeah, yes, I I, I can hear you, I can hear you. I'm down here, I'm down here, I'm holding onto a branch. I, I, I know, I can see you, Doug. You're okay, right? Yeah, but who are you? How can you see me, where are you? I'm the Lord, Doug. I'm everywhere. I see and know everything. The, the Lord? You, you mean God? That's me. God, oh, please help me. I promise. If you'll get me down from here, I'll, I'll do anything you say. I'll, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I'll be so obedient. I'll sell all my stuff and I'll give the money to charity. And God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy with the promises there, Doug. Let's just get you off from there and then we can talk. Now here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully. I'll do anything, Lord, anything you say. Whatever it is, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Okay. Let go of the branch. I'm I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I said, let go of the branch. Just trust me and do what I say. Let go. There was a long silence. And finally, Doug yelled, hey! Help! Is anybody else up there? (laughs) See, obedience isn't all that hard to come by, to drum up inside ourselves, as long as we're being asked to do just exactly whatever it is that we want to do in the first place. 
or when the instruction falls right in line with what we think will feel best to us or what we think we know to be best for us. But when the God-ordained authority over us, i.e. parents, requires that we do something we don't want to do, it's not so easy. And all of us, regardless of our age or to which authority we're referring, we fail in that sometimes, don't we? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So why should kids obey? What, what, what does it mean in the Lord, and why is it right? What makes it right? The easy answer to all of these questions is because God says so. Obey your parents is the first grand instruction that God gives to his children. It's for children to do what their parents tell them to do. The God of creation has made it a natural law for the benefit not just of the child and of their parent, but for society in general. Across time and across continents and across cultures, value and esteem is ascribed to children who are obedient to their parents. The flip side is true as well. In fact, if you look at many of the, the ills that plague modern American society and frankly many, many other societies as well, many of these challenges that we face now can be traced back to a complete lack of respect for authority and to a willfully disobedient spirit. Children, obey your parents. Colossians 3.20 tells us the same thing as Ephesians 6.1 using only very slightly different words. It's on the screen behind me. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Christians, I'm talking to you, Christians, should not our ultimate goal in life, in all things, in thoughts and words and deeds, be to please the Lord? And when scripture clearly, concisely, and specifically says, do this thing because it pleases God, don't you reckon we ought to do it? There are lots of reasons that God instructs children to obey their parents. But I'm going to give you five of them real quickly. Number one, children must obey their parents in order for a family to be a functional one. We hear all the time the term dysfunctional family, right? We're familiar with that term. We're probably even familiar with what it means and probably not just academically speaking. We're probably familiar with what a dysfunctional family looks like because of some experiences in our own family. Because the news flashed to everybody, families are made up of people and people are messy, right? But again, that term dysfunctional family is is a term, it's predicated on the fact that there must be an idea of what a functional family family looks like. See, God designed families with a hierarchy, an order of authority and responsibility. Thomas started into that discussion two weeks ago when he talked about a husband and a wife. The second reason, the children must obey their parents because the welfare of the child depends upon it. In the short term, obedience protects kids from harm. And in the long term, it teaches them to have a proper understanding of how to submit to authority, including the supreme authority of God. 
Children must obey their parents because they don't have the capacity to be self-governing. Kids, little ones, and even up through students don't yet know what they don't know. It's not a question of intelligence. It's not even a question ultimately of ability. It's a question of experience. How many of you, as a parent, and when I say parent, I'm talking about not just biologically, but if you're an adoptive parent, if you're a foster parent, if you have taken on the role of parental guidance for somebody, this is applicable to you. How many of you have talked to the kids that you care for and just knowing because of experience and having been down that road, you're like, buddy, there are potholes in front of you and if you'll just listen to me, I would love to protect you from stepping in that thing. Sure, right? Number four, children must obey their parents because the parents are responsible for the physical and spiritual well-being of the child. God builds into parents a love that is not just affectionate, but it's protective too. And a God-honoring, a God-seeking parent is divinely equipped with the desire and the ability to nurture their child. That's one of the amazing things about being in intimate relationship with God through Jesus, right? Is that we're availed of his power. Don't take that lightly. Number five, children must obey their parents because the family hierarchy of authority is designed to imitate God's spiritual hierarchy of authority. Teaching a child to be obedient to their parents is the first and best step toward teaching them to be obedient to God in their lives. But parents, there's a big responsibility for us with that, right? While we are still under the supervision and authority of our parents, during the time that they are responsible for our well-being, we are to be obedient to them. I don't know how many students we have in here right now. Most of them are probably in their services. But students, if you're still on mom and dad's payroll, or if they are still paying for your car, or your insurance, or your school, or your cell phone, If you're living under their roof rent-free, then you're called by God to obey them. In the same way that if, if a police officer tells me, stop, I'm going to stop. You see, their primary function, a police officer's primary function, is that they willingly take on the responsibility to keep me and my family and the rest of society safe. They are responsible for my protection and well-being. And, and with the weight of that responsibility comes the privilege of authority. And that authority grants them a fair, reasonable, and right expectation of obedience from those for whom they are responsible. Now, Tom and, or, excuse me, Thomas mentioned something like this a couple of weeks ago. And, and interestingly enough, if it's true in one part of scripture, it's true in the rest of scripture, okay? But Thomas mentioned something about this. Here in the passage we're talking about today, there are three little words, in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. 
And that, those words indicate that obedience, or in the case of husbands and wives, submission, will only go so far as the instruction from authority is not in conflict with God's laws and or his purposes. No parent can require their child to steal or lie or cheat or to help them commit murder or any other wrong thing. In all cases, in every case, God is to be obeyed rather than man. In a situation where a parent opposes a child's desire to attend a Bible-teaching church or to profess their faith in Christ, such opposition should, should prompt the child to, to pause and reflect, to pray and contemplate the situation. And before the child acts contrary to the will of his father or mother, when he comes to the point where the child does broach the subject with his parents, he needs to go to them and state in a spirit of great kindness and gentleness and respect that he believes that he must love and serve God. Now that spirit of kindness and gentleness and respects kind of brings us to the next verses in our passage. Honor your father and mother. And then most of you probably in, in your Bible, in parentheses, it, said, it says, this is the first commandment with a promise. That promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The word obey in verse one and the word honor in verse two, they're, they're definitely connected. There are similarities. They kind of dovetail together, but they're not exactly the same thing. While the word obey speaks of action, the word honor speaks of attitude. Now, not for nothing, this is interesting. Paul is referring back as he writes this, he's referring back to what we now know as Old Testament scripture. He's restating number five of the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. You can find it in Exodus 20. Interestingly, the organizational structure of the Ten Commandments is similar in some ways to the structure of Ephesians. The first four commandments deal with us having a right view of God and of his position in our lives. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't take God's name in vain and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The last six commandments tell us how we're supposed to relate to other people. Honor mom and dad. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie about others and don't covet their stuff. It's just kind of a cool example of the continuity of Scripture. Okay, so obey is an action and honor is an attitude. How does that show up? How is that manifested? How does an attitude of honor become evident? Honoring your parents is an issue of the heart. Luke 6.45 tells us, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what it is that we keep in our hearts shows up in what we say and how we say it, as well as in the things that we do. Remember that the instruction to obey your parents is 
primarily applicable to those who are still loving, or living rather, under the responsibility and thus the authority of their parents. But the command to honor your father and mother, it doesn't have an expiration date. This is a lifelong commitment of the heart. And not just for as long as they live. I have a very dear friend who just lost her mom about a week ago to a battle with cancer. Do you think that now that her mom is fully healed and rejoicing in heaven with Jesus, do you think that my friend is going to honor her mom any less? No, of course not. Folks, you know what it looks like when you treat someone with honor and you know what it feels like when someone treats you with honor. To honor someone means that you have respect or reverence for them, that you esteem them and consider them to be of great value and importance. Be grateful for them. In this context, it also means treating them with deference and providing and caring for them in their old age. This is funny. 1 Timothy 5.4 is a passage, is a, a scripture that I'm going to read to you. The, I, I went through different versions of the Bible to see if, if there was one that read really clearly and really easily. And I found this one, and it is from the ERV, which interestingly enough stands for easy to read version. <laughs> Didn't know that was a thing but I kind of dig it. So 1 Timothy 5.4 from the ERV says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, the first thing they, children or grandchildren, need to learn is this, to show their devotion to God by taking care of their own family. They will be repaying their parents and this pleases God. Friends, I'm pretty sure that we all know what the opposite of honor looks like too. Disdain. Disregard. Disrespect. Neglect. Just simply ignoring. Now I don't know if you noticed this or not, but one thing that is conspicuously absent from God's instruction is any qualifying criteria. What I mean is the Bible doesn't say honor your father and mother in as much as they are honorable. Nor does it say honor your father and mother to the degree that they have earned your respect. Now, I, I am not so naive as to think that everyone in this room has been blessed with parents who've loved them as well as my parents love and have loved me or as well as my wife's parents have loved and do love her. I know that we are blessed beyond measure. I totally accept that. And I know that not everyone has had that same blessing. Your mom might be a hot mess. And your dad might be a vile human being. But nowhere in scripture does it give us the option of reviling our parents. There's no verse that tells me I can disparage my mom or dad. 
To say that it's not always easy would be a gross understatement, yet we're called to honor them regardless. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. That it may go well with you. Is, is that important? Of course it is. I mean, now listen close. This is where you're going to participate with me, okay? If I say to you, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? The much more theologically deep and scripturally rich one goes like this. If you don't want no drama, then you better honor your mama. We could go on and on. Mama's very easy to rhyme. So, <laughs> The point is that God requires that we be working to establish an attitude of honor regarding our parents and then putting that honor on display in the way that we speak to and speak of and treat and care for them. Guys, life is better when you think of and treat other people, parents especially, in a way that shows them honor. God attaches special, specific blessings to those who are, who are obedient in this way. And God's promise here in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, it's slightly different than it was in Exodus and in Deuteronomy where the Ten Commandments were given under the Old Covenant, okay? Under the New Covenant, this blessing is specific, that you may live long in the land. And it's not speaking specifically or or necessarily about your life or my life here on earth, but about eternal life with him. In many cases, part of that blessing is, in fact, a long and abundant earthly life. But I'll bet many of us can think of someone who was a genuinely sweet person who died young. One who believed in and lived for Jesus. A friend or a sibling or maybe even a child of your own who honored their parents and who treated others with respect who isn't here anymore. What I can assure you is that if their action of obedience and their attitude of honor was born out of a faith in Jesus and a desire to be obedient to him, then it went well with them. And they experienced abundant life, if not one long in duration here on earth. And they're now living long in the land beyond here. What an assurance. And we've been chewing on some pretty weighty instructions for children. Obey your parents and honor your father and mother. And kids, if you're in here, you'll be happy to know that it's time for me to spend some time picking on the parents now. Dads especially. Moving along to Ephesians 6, 4, which says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There's a parallel passage in Colossians 3, 21. It'll be on the, on the wall. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The word provoke means to stimulate or incite someone to do or feel something, especially by arousing anger in them. Provoke is also to deliberately make someone annoyed or angry. Dads, don't provoke. When your kids provoke, dads, don't provoke. I believe the reason this verse is addressing fathers directly is not only because we, dads, are supposed to be the spiritual leader of the household and thus the primary disciplinarian, and we are supposed to fill those roles, 
but also because we are the most likely to lose our tempers or lose our cool and to just flat do it wrong. Or when we see our kids beginning to become frustrated, but rather than seeking to de-escalate the situation, we often press and bully and steamroll and make matters worse, not better. Proverbs 15.1 comes to mind. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's true, right? God's word tells us dads not to provoke our kids to anger because without the reminder, that is what we're most prone to do. Almost as if in our sin nature, that is our default setting. Fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Then it goes on to say, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, let's look at discipline. Why do we do it and what do we hope to accomplish? Well, dads, since we have a heavenly father who is the perfect model of what being a dad is all about, let's turn back to the right, to Hebrews. I'll ask you to turn there if you want to. Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 11. Now, Hebrews is about the eighth or ninth book in from the end of the Bible. Hebrews 12. 6 through 11. I'll read it to you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Did you catch that? Simply stated, the motive for discipline should be love, not control. And the goal of discipline should be righteousness, not bitterness. Dads, don't provoke your children to anger and bitterness because anger harms relationship. And bitterness breaks down intimacy and creates barriers. The passage in Hebrews also makes some really important and interesting points. It's recognizing that disciplining is one of the key roles inherent to being a father and it's assuming that we earthly fathers do it and that we do it well. And man, I've, I've blown it in this area many times. I haven't necessarily been one to shirk my responsibility to discipline my kids, but I certainly haven't always done it in a way that brings honor and glory to God and builds my kids up. I've disciplined in anger. I've disciplined manipulatively, and I've disciplined selfishly. Now, a word of encouragement to you. I can tell you, though, that when I have done a good job, a better job of nurturing my kids in the discipline of the Lord, it's worked out incredibly well. So much better than when I've just done it according to my own emotions and my own intentions. When I think to discipline in love with the goal for my kids and myself of righteousness, 
It changes the complexion of the entire conversation. Guys, it changes the complexion of the entire relationship. Now, for discipline to be effective, it must be immediate or as close to immediate as is reasonably possible. Be prepared. If you are the parent of young kids, that means that you may need to be prepared to walk away carrying your child, walk away from a grocery cart full of food. Or to sit in the car while your spouse spouse sits with the other kids in the restaurant. Discipline should be consistent. Decide what your rules are and then stick to them. It's easier to start out more strictly and then loosen the reins a bit as the kids show good decision making and honor and respect and obedience. It's much easier to start strictly and loosen the reins than it is to try to start loose and then rein them in. I know that it's exhausting to be consistent. Kids have boundless energy and it shows up in a lot of different ways including testing the boundaries. Keep going back to that well. Stay consistent. And discipline should be appropriate. Let the time fit the crime. If your teenager misuses his or her phone, take it away for a reasonable period of time. If you have rules about the phone and Junior does not obey the rules, phone's gone. If it's the car, same thing. Try not to overdo or underdo the penalty. And this is a big one. Never threaten with a penalty that you can't or won't follow through with. I told the story last hour. In January of 2017, uh, my wife and I were invited to go on a cruise with some friends so that I could officiate a wedding. It was amazing. That's the only cruise I've ever been on. It was a wonderful experience. Dear friends, it was fantastic. And I remember being up on the top deck watching a dad trying to corral a couple of unruly little boys. And they were running around and they were splashing water and they were splashing people they didn't know and dad was shouting at them and he's trying to get them and he was at the end of his rope, man. I know there were, there, there were times when he looked away from the kids undoubtedly looking for his wife like, <laughs> help, right? And he was shouting and he was getting really hot. And finally, he kind of got both boys by the scruff of the neck and he said, boys, if you don't knock it off, we are getting off this boat. <laughs> and I was thinking... Good one, dad. (laughs) And that either taught his kids one of two things. One, dad is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. (laughs) Or two, dad doesn't mean what he says. Never threaten with a penalty that you can't or won't follow through with. And then make sure you take the opportunity to talk through the why for disciplinary action. Let them hear and feel the love you have for them and your desire that they should grow to a place of righteousness. Righteousness from God's perspective, not just yours. And let them know too that you're in the process of trying to grow into that same thing, that righteousness from God's perspective. The last little bite of this slice of pie that I've been able to walk through with you is this. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Here's the thing, folks. If you're going to teach it, then you better know it. I, I didn't put this, so you can see that, 
There's kind of a follow-up that's not on the slides. If you know it well enough to teach it, then you better live it. Kids can smell a fake or a hypocrite a mile away. In Psalm 119.11, the author writes, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Romans 15.4 says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. If you're gonna teach your kids what God's perspective is, then you're gonna have to know God's word. And guys, if you're sitting out there saying, but I just, I really don't know enough. And I, and, and I really don't have time. I mean, what with work and all my other family responsibilities, etc. I've got news for you guys. Busy people make decisions. They make choices. And while we're on the subject, I have been personally convicted by what I've been studying in preparation for this lesson. The Holy Spirit has been working on me in various ways, for sure. But this last part was like a, like a, like a sock in the gut for me. I want to make sure that what I am and what you are spending the bulk of our time and our energy and our focus and our money and our attention on teaching our kids is the stuff that's actually really important. The stuff that has eternal importance. I've realized that I've been spending a lot of time talking about and teaching my kids about things that are timely, things that are exciting, things that are, that are cool, things that are really good. But is that keeping me from focusing on what's great? If my oldest son, who's about to go off to college in the, in the fall, if he one day cures cancer, or my middle son, who's 16, if he becomes the next Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, or my 12-year-old daughter grows up to become the first female president of the United States, that would, any of those things, all of those things would be incredible, amazing. But they would be nothing if my kids are not passionately, desperately pursuing Jesus. All that other stuff we count as loss, right? If the amount of time and effort that we spend on various activities shows that we care more about how hard our son throws a baseball or how far our daughter hits a golf ball or what kind of grades even that they're getting and it shows that we care more about those things than we care about where they are in their relationship with creator God, then I pray that we will reevaluate and that we'll do better. Children, Obey and honor your parents because it pleases God. And parents, lovingly discipline and teach your kids so that they might become all that God has designed them to be. Let's pray. God, thank you again for your word. Lord, thank you for the privilege of, of being able to study it and share it. Thank you that we live in a place where we can do this openly without fear and continue to protect that liberty, that freedom for us. God, help us in all things to honor you with our lives. Help us as we are children of our parents to treat them with honor. And help us as we are parents to our children to discipline and teach them in you. God, we love you. We thank you. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name.